Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. Um, apologies for being off for a little while. Um, for those who don't know, my dad passed away uh, just about two months ago, and uh, it was uh, absolutely horrible. And uh, I have had a difficult time, but starting to feel a bit more comfort now, and I'm uh, very grateful for all the people, um, people that listen to this podcast, people on Twitter, you know, members of Pit Twitter, all that stuff who, who reached out and uh, who offered well wishes and um, condolences, uh, so I'm very grateful for everyone who reached out. Um, it, it was an absolutely horrible time. Um, but, uh, it, it does little by little, it does get better. And so, uh, if anyone is going through that, has gone through that, uh, thinks that they might be going through that soon, uh, it does get better, but, uh, it's certainly very appreciative of all the people who, um, reached out and, uh, and and offered support it's it's very much appreciated and i i thank you all uh and thank you for being understanding about um about the absence uh sort of an odd time uh right in the midst of uh conference basketball season but uh as it turns out there was not too much to talk about uh and th and that's the problem that is the problem with the state of pit basketball this is, you know, Jay-Z had death of autotune. This is the death of pit basketball. The fact that the season is now over and the only response is really, thank God that was awful. That's a horrible, horrible state to be in. You know, we just have the State of the Union. President Biden says, as all presidents say, State of the Union is strong. State of this program, State of Pit Basketball, is a mess. When everyone is thankful that it's over, that the season is done, that it's mercifully over. That's a gigantic problem. And it's this path, this program is at a crossroads. And so that's sort of what we're going to be talking about here because the fourth year of Jeff Capel just finished. And I'll preface this by saying, uh, Jeff Capel seems like an excellent guy. Um, he seems like just a, just a really good person uh, who, who cares about his family and, and who supports uh, great causes and wants to do the right thing and, and all that stuff. So uh, it's not like Kevin Stallings, who uh, never really reached out to the community, never really... Uh, there just was not much there. This is different, and it's a little bit more difficult because while no one, very few people, had an affinity for Kevin Stallings, a lot of people like Jeff Capel. He's a likable person, and he's a good person. At least he seems so. Um, so this is a little bit difficult, and it's never easy or fun or enjoyable calling for someone to lose their job. Uh, this is... A crazy industry, uh, and and losing a job comes with a lot of ramifications. Uh, all that said, uh, there seems to be no doubt anymore 
that pit basketball under Jeff Capel, it's just not going to work. And a lot of people wanted it to work. A lot of people thought it was going to work. But this is now the end of his fourth season, and they are not definitively better than they were in his first season. Uh, his first season after taking over a team that could not win a single conference game. Now, they did win more conference games this year. Uh, they won six compared to three, uh, but the non-conference schedule had its problems. Uh, they actually had a worse overall record. And, and just overall, again, this program is not definitively in a better place. You, you could argue and make the case that this team is a little bit better than his first season. But after four years, that's not really the case that you want to be going with. And Jeff Capel, in his postgame comments after the 20-point loss in the ACC tournament to Boston College, uh, talked about, oh, well, compared to you know what I inherited, was you know it was terrible. And while, yes, what he inherited is terrible, this isn't significantly better. And that's the problem. Uh, if this team were about a 500 team, something like that, I think there'd be reason for optimism. If this team had one or two pretty prized recruits, maybe four-star recruits set to come in next year, uh, there'd be some reason for optimism. But this is a team that just finished 6-14 and 14 in conference, uh, losing some games, especially down the stretch, by horrific margins losing in the opening round on the first day of the ACC tournament, two days before the big dogs even show up. And it's just, it's a really bad state that this program is in. And Jeff Capel in his fourth year has not impressed. He's had some impressive moments, but on the whole, he has not impressed. Um, it just seems to be the same story every year. Every year there's a collapse Late in the season, every year players seem to check out. They even say, yeah, we were checked out, we weren't focused. You just, you cannot have that in in a fourth year. Uh, There's been no roster consistency. In his postgame, he complained that they need better players. But this isn't the NBA, where you can be a head coach and say, we need better players, and that's the fault of the GM or the team owner. This is college basketball. The head coach leads the program. They're responsible for roster construction and roster retention. And while, yeah, some other things can happen, uh, you had some pretty good players in this program. Um, Obviously, Justin Champagny leaves to go to the NBA, and that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, But guys like Xavier Johnson and uh, Trey McGowans, I I mean, these are good players, uh, Parker Stewart, and, and at least pretty good players, and they left. So the roster construction has not been great. The roster retention has been pretty awful. And there are no recruits set to come in. No recruits. Uh, they, they had a really good recruit, a four-star recruit set to come, and then he changed his mind because he saw how Pitt basketball played this year. Uh, and then you talk about roster retention. There's one player on this roster that would actually hurt Pitt if he left. And that's John Hughley. John Hughley's a really good basketball player, and he's got the potential to be great. Uh, outside of him, everyone else on the roster, and, and Mo Gee, I should say, he's a great player on the roster, but this was his final year of eligibility, so he can't come back no matter what. So outside of those two, every single player on this year's roster, if they 
transferred out of pit right now, it would not really affect anything. And so when you talk about a poor roster at the moment and no prospects of a more promising roster, I really don't see what the case is to be made that he's going to turn it around. So if we're talking about this and we're saying, okay, in the past, he hasn't proven too much. And and not to say I told you so because I, I did believe that he was going to be successful, but when everyone was jumping up and down when he was first hired, I did have some concerns. You can listen, if you can go all the way back to this podcast uh, four years ago when he was hired, four plus years ago, um, everyone was through the moon. They thought this is an incredible hire. I said I thought it was decent, maybe, you know, pretty good, but I had concerns. The concerns were that he crashed out at Oklahoma, and once he didn't have Blake Griffin, he started to seem like not a very good basketball coach. And it's difficult when you see a coach who seems to have hit his ceiling, there's a, there's a concern when he's on his way down, there's that concern that he's never going to get back there. And I think I was especially sensitive to it, privy to it, because Pitt's last two head coaches sort of had that. Jamie Dixon had hit his ceiling. He's never going to be better, whether it was at Pitt, at TCU, anywhere. He's never going to be better than he was in that prime when he was making it to Elite Eights. Um, Kevin Stallings, he very clearly had hit his ceiling at Vanderbilt. He was never going to be better than his peak at Vanderbilt. And then you bring in Jeff Capel, who, again, I was concerned. Yeah, he had a great recruit in Blake Griffin, and he was a phenomenal basketball player. But once he lost him, things went downhill. And... It's tough to say, yeah, he's definitely a really good coach, or did he just have an amazing season with an amazing player, and after that, things went downhill. So in the past, there's not, oh, this guy is 100%. And in general, the past, you can't give that too much weight anyway. But even if you did, it's not Coach K. It's not someone who, even even Chris Mack at, at Louisville, I mean, he had a great career at Xavier, and so you could say, okay, he had, like, there's something in his past that said he should be a great coach, and so maybe you give him a little bit more of uh, leeway. That's not there with Jeff Cable. So the past isn't saying he's going to turn this around. The present, the, and, and the last four years, the president Pitt is not saying that he's going to turn this around, because by the fourth year you should be able to show signs that it's at least turning around, if not turned around. This is college basketball. In college football, I think four years is the tenure that a new head coach should get. I I think after four years, you can reasonably make a determination if a coach should stay or go. Now, that's college football where you've got guys who stay for three and for four years. This is college basketball, where you have 12 players, maybe nine or ten that actually make a rotation. You can construct a roster pretty damn quickly. Uh, one play, one uh, coach that I advocated for uh, over Jeff Capel, this, the, the last coach opening, was Eric Musselman. He was at Nevada. He turned that roster over with transfers. Then he took the job at Arkansas, I think two years ago. He turned that roster over with transfers, like instantly. A coach comes in, they land some big transfers, some big names. 
all of a sudden the roster is really good and the team's good and the program's looking to be in a good direction. So in college football, I say four years is adequate time. In college basketball, you could even make the case two years. I mean, that's what Kevin Stallings got. He got two years. And by the end of the second year, it was very clearly things are not going to get better. So just cut your losses. Uh, now, that was a little bit easier to do because Heather Like didn't hire Kevin Stallings. So firing him was a little bit easier. Uh, in this case, Heather Like hired Jeff Capel. So it's going to be more difficult to fire a coach that you hired because that's sort of admitting that you were wrong. But if you look at it and you say, okay, his past doesn't indicate that he's going to turn it around, and his present tenure at Pitt does not indicate he's going to turn it around, and the future in terms of recruits doesn't indicate that he's going to turn it around, I just don't know how you can make the case that he deserves to be back next year except for the one giant cloud hanging over all of this, and that is his buyout. The contract extension that he got early in his second season was the biggest and one of the only mistakes that Heather Like has made uh, as athletic director at the University of Pittsburgh. She's been a phenomenal AD. She has made some great hires in multiple sports. She's added some sports. Pitt soccer is is the best that they've ever been. Pitt volleyball is one of the best programs in the country. Pitt women's soccer. I mean, like this is what she's done with the program has been excellent. But giving him that contract was such a gigantic mistake. And even at the time, it was bizarre because he hadn't accomplished anything. I mean, you compare it to football, Pat Narduzzi, he just accomplished something pretty incredible. He won the ACC, something that Pitt hadn't done prior since joining the ACC. So he's going to get a contract extension pretty soon, and it might be kind of ridiculous, but ultimately, you deserve it. Like, if you win the conference or if you do something amazing, you deserve to get a contract extension, even if you're not worth exactly that much. But Jeff Capel got the contract extension when he hadn't done much, and when no one was coming to poach him. Uh, he got it the, the contract extension early in his second season. Uh, he had lost the, the backyard brawl to West Virginia already. Um, he had uh, beaten Florida State in a close game. Uh, he, they beat Rutgers and Northwestern and Kansas State. They were solid. And uh, then in their... Uh, third conference game of the season. They were 1-1. One one. They lost to Wake Forest. After that game, so now they're 1-2 and two in the conference. They had a solid non-conference. 1-2 and two in the conference. Mid-season, this was January 2020, nobody was sniffing around looking to poach him, certainly not in the middle of the season, but even after the season, there was not a major concern. that it, like He wasn't so incredible that, oh, Duke was going to, bring him back as the heir apparent to, to Coach K. That wasn't happening. The entire consensus around Jeff Capel at the time was, okay, yeah, this seems, you know, pretty promising. He seems to be a decent coach. But that doesn't warrant a major contract extension when no one else is trying to pry him away from you. Those are the only reasons to give a contract extension. If someone does something incredible or if another team is trying to pry that coach away. Short of those two things, you don't give one until it is time to give one, when a contract is about to run out. But she gave him this huge contract extension 
early in his second year when he hadn't really proved anything and when no one else was going after him. And since then, things have not been good. <laughs> they collapsed down the stretch in his second season. Uh, they collapsed down the stretch in his third season, and again in his fourth season. His second season was really his best season, the only season he even came close to a 500 record overall, and he hasn't come close to a 500 record in the ACC. And with that contract extension comes a buyout. And that buyout is reported at the moment to be $15 million. I should have said that in the Dr. Evil voice. Uh, that is an exorbitant buyout. And one that could Pitt afford to pay it? Yes. The big question is, is it worth it? Because... According to reports, next year, in a year's time, after next season, the buyout drops to $5 million. Now, sometimes you'll see programs, pro, college, whatever, wait until a certain date, but like within the same offseason to do something. They say, oh, his, his uh, buyout lowers or his cap hit lowers or is going to be, you know, raises on this date. And so you want to trade him or cut him or release him, whatever, before that date. That is not really the case here. I mean, if this were, okay, his buyout is going to drop $10 million in, or even $5 million in a month, you know, April 1st or something, or the day after the you know national championship game, then you can make the case, okay, yeah, you're going to lose a little bit of ground, but you save so much money that you can offer to the next coach. That's fine. But his contract doesn't drop, his buyout doesn't drop for another year. What is the cost of waiting another year if there is no hope? I mean, there, there are two different ways you can look at it. One is, well, you don't need to fire him right now because there's hope for next season. And if he's not good next season, then you fire him. That's number one. Number two is, well, yeah, he's clearly not turning it around, but if you wait the one more season, you get $10 million. Well, one, I don't think anyone believes, which is the problem. If, if you could realistically convince yourself or convince anyone of number one that he's got a good chance to turn it around next season, then I'd say, you know what, sure, bring him back. Save the $10 million, see how he does. But I don't think any, you know, if they still had a four-star recruit coming in next year, then sure, yeah, let's, let's you know, give it a shot. But Without any recruits coming in, and who knows what's going to happen in the transfer portal, who knows if you lose people in the transfer portal, including John Hughley. If John Hughley goes, I have no idea what the case is besides the $10 million uh, difference in the buyout. I have no idea what the case is to keep him. Because normally, the worry when you get rid of a coach is, well, now your roster's going to blow up. Players are tied to coaches, and you don't want to lose those players. Well... There is literally one player on the roster that could be back for Pitt next year who Pitt would actually miss. That's John Hughley. And if they lose him anyway, then there is really zero cost from that perspective in finding a new head coach. The only cost is the literal cost of $15 million compared to $5 million if you wait a year. But what is, what is the cost of waiting another year? I mean, this program is as bad as it's been. Um, this year and and the second year of Kevin Stallings were the two years where it was there was just no hope, no optimism, no future, no promise, just nothing. 
And that's a dangerous place to be as a program. It can be really hard for a program to turn around once you get to that point because everything is cyclical in college. When the program dries up and things are looking grim, you lose recruits, such as the four-star recruit that they lost who was supposed to be joining Pitt for next year. When you lose recruits, then you lose more games. You lose those games, you lose fans, and you lose money. And when you lose money, you don't have as much money to pay either for a buyout or for a new shiny head coach or for facilities or anything. So this is all cyclical. You can't, it's not the pros where you say, okay, one more year of losing, but then we get a good draft pick and it'll all work out. This is a, a sport where if you have one more year of losing, that could set the program back years because you're not going to be making any money. There's going to be no enthusiasm for the program. People are going to be tuning out. Uh, it, it just tarnishes the brand's reputation. This is a really bad spot for the program to be in. So, yes, there's the difference of $10 million, but then I have to ask, at what point is is the $10 million worth it to be maybe a year closer or even multiple years closer? As I said, w- waiting one year could set the program back multiple years. So at what point is it worth $10 million to just start that now, to go for a new coach now? There are some good coaches that are out there. Um, some less realistic ones, uh, like uh, maybe Rick Patino, maybe Kevin Willard at Seton Hall, maybe Sean Miller, formerly at Arizona, uh, of course, there's Brandon Knight, which his name is always floated when, when there's a pit opening, former uh, star player, now an assistant at Rutgers. There are some great head coaches in smaller conferences. Nico Medved at Colorado State, an amazing coach. Mike Rhodes at VCU, an amazing coach. Mark Schmidt at St. Bonaventure has done a really good job in a tough place to win. Uh, the coach at Toledo, John Becker at Vermont. Uh, Jeff Bowles at Ohio. Uh, Eric Conkle at Louisiana Tech. Coach at Wyoming, UC Irvine. Uh, even coaches in the Horizon League, Scott Nagy at Wright State, Dennis Gates at Cleveland State. There are a lot of coaches out there who would make sense and who would likely take the pit job if it were offered. Like I said, maybe not some of those first names I said, maybe even not uh, someone leaving Colorado State or VCU. But some of those other programs, yeah, a coach probably would leave to get a huge bump in salary and a nice shiny new contract and live in, you know, big city. All that stuff. Uh, there's a good chance that Pitt could land one of those guys. So, sure, they're not going to land um, a a superstar. They're not going to get Mick Cronin from Cincinnati, you know, who was the hot name a few years ago and went to UCLA. Um, But they clearly are – they would be able to get some people. Um, The question is, is it worth it to wait another year to save $10 million, but watch this program further and further sink. And and I don't see how you can put it any other way. I don't see how you can say, well, maybe the program won't sink. Because it just seems like it is. It seems like there is no other alternative. There's no other possibility for next season other than this isn't going to get any better. Might get, a you know, maybe they win one more game. Two more games, but still not even sniffing a 500 record in conference. Uh, it, it could get a little worse. It likely would just stay about the same. I don't know how you can 
So, so I think that is clearly what's going to happen if Capel's back. It's just going to be the same next year. So the question is, is that worth $10 million? Ultimately, it's not my money. So I know it's easy to say $10 million. Yeah, you got to spend it. But I've never encountered $10 million. I've never encountered $1 million. So I can't say that definitively. But I will say... The state of the program right now is pretty horrific. And just like there's a cost to firing someone now as opposed to in a year, there's also a cost to waiting a year. And it might not be apparent as a physical cost at the moment, but there is a cost. And it will, at least eventually, be a physical, literal cost if this program continues to sink. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe he comes back next season, which, by the way, I think because of that $10 million difference, I think he probably will. And maybe they do turn it around. But I just don't think so. I think the Jeff Capel era has peaked. I don't see it getting too much better. And because of that, I think the only question is, do you restart now or restart in a year? And then you just have to to look at the numbers and the sunk cost fallacy and say, is it worth $10 million to spend another year to realize what pretty much everyone already knows already, which is that unfortunately, Jeff Capel is not it. And you're going to have to look elsewhere. And so it's going to come down to Heather Like. I, like I said, I don't think she's going to fire him. She gave him the, the job. She gave him the extension with the buyout. I don't think she's going to do it. I think, if anything, she's going to give him one more year. But I think you have to, to really think long and hard about is it worth ten, saving $10 million to spend a full year without hope? That is a very difficult question. But that's one that she's going to have to answer. So that will do it for this episode of Unscripted. Um, We will be back, not sure exactly when, uh, but I do want to talk some more college basketball, some March Madness, and of course, if there is a coaching change, uh, we will absolutely have an emergency pod and talk about that, all of that, uh, in um, on this podcast. So uh, again, I want to thank you all so much for your support, for listening, for sticking with me. Um, uh, Until next time, I'm Corey Cohen. Signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast.